episode of the Detroit Spinners podcast with your friends Miles and Gary. But it's a bit of a different episode today because we're actually doing it. It's an interview. It's one of Special. our little interviews. Yeah. Who are we interviewing? We are interviewing Luke Campbell. He is, uh, as you will hear me say in a minute, uh, the series producer and director of An Idiot Abroad, some episodes of An Idiot Abroad, not all of them. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's worked very, very closely, therefore, with Carl Pilkington, and uh, that's why we've got him on. It's hard to get on guests who are very specifically related to the XFM shows. There's so few characters who are. We, so we're branching out a little bit to people who know Ricky, Steve and Carl and have worked with them closely. Clearly, it's it, a lot of the chat today, I think, will be relevant to an, sort of XFM-related material. It won't, we won't be talking about the XFM shows, but it will be relevant, won't it, to sort of find out stuff about well, Carl I, I must watch An Idiot Abroad at least twice a year. And, and you know, I, I feel like they're, they're kind of the first, they might not be necessarily the first, but definitely started a trend of that travelogue format with Comedian. There's kind of loads of them now. So uh, th- this one feels kind of like the first, but it still brought out the best in Carl. You, you see his raw kind of uncensored reactions as he's like thrown into these mental scenarios which i'm sure we'll discuss with with luke so i think it'll be offer a really interesting insight into what it's like to work with you know an idol of ours right yeah in a way i kind of think and we won't kind of discuss this with luke as such because he's not sort of familiar necessarily with the xfm shows but i would say i wish an idiot abroad had been the follow-up to the xfm shows rather than the podcast that they did i think it, it kind of were it works nicer as a follow-up as a tv so it's a very different format but it kind of follows on from the xfm shows in a better way than i think the podcast did what are your how are you feeling about the interview oh wait hang on a minute we did uh we did a special patreon show we, we also our last episode was an xfm in the community episode but we also recorded a patreon special because gary it became um, a patreon special because we went on so long about yeah, it yeah we but, just waffled on i was um, a little drink gary was a, a performer for as part of uh, make and laugh which is a little sort of comedy show of different sketch acts what was there sketch acts stand up uh, sketch acts and stand up and uh, a uh, someone who ran it that's not common on him but um yeah it was an amazing uh, experience and uh very uh sort of surreal just surreal surreal experience to do but um you know it was something you had to get through so i got through i think we did put on twitter but i got through the, there was some heats to get through to the live nights and i did and i performed there wasn't like a a, a vote on who was best or anything it's just performance but um yeah i think i did all right you know considering everything see i had a technical issue at the beginning of my set as well yeah but it was like it was totally as my first time watching one of those open mic nights uh, via, via Zoom and and watching you yeah so we we recorded a special like post our initial thoughts and reactions after Gary's night and that went out as a Patreon so if you do wanna if you do wanna listen to that do uh, head over there and um, it's been described as the sweetest thing I've ever heard by someone yeah I don't say could be quite saccharine for the wrong audience. <laughs> but um how are you feeling about today's interview are you are you excited yeah yeah i'm uh looking forward to it i think he'll be a good guest he's been very forthcoming in emails which is not always an indicator sometimes we've had guests who write like one line back to us and they 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 speak loads they're they're great i think uh uh, Laurie was one of them. Laurie's a great guest, but um, yeah, Luke seems keen to do it. They're so different, aren't they? The interview shows that we do as well, because I don't know. I I, I personally love doing interviews. I just think it's just so. This is what podcasting is about for me. You know, just having those that space and allowing your guests that time just to talk and hear their stories because you you, you don't get that otherwise. Also, our focus on this podcast is so niche, isn't it? Yeah. But we're as I say, we're branching out in in terms of subject area. But we kind of have to because and we 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 could just say we won't do any interviews unless we get Ricky, Steve, or Carl or Claire. But um, we like doing the interviews. We think, but not just that. We hope that they're entertaining as well and in a different sort of way as you say miles um they're they're not quite the same as the normal shows and uh we're not experienced interviewers we've interviewed five people and we we but we enjoy it i think probably 
I'd say hopefully we're all right at it. Let us know. You know, maybe that'll change after this show. But let us know. I plan to take over from Graham Norton and give away a big stiff cock of a video. Big stiff. Yeah, I'm Jonathan Ross. I'll be shaving my ass before we go on to our next. (laughs) So between us, we'll have covered a lot of the whole comedy world. Yeah. So um, shall we get on with it? Shall we? Shall we? dip into this interview yeah yeah maybe we'll talk more about the stand-up stuff another time because i do want to talk a bit more about it but i think today's probably you know we is an interview day so we won't what about us it's about luke campbell who's coming well, up I want now. it to be about me <laughs> well i know miles uh you and i and most of our listeners would give our right arm to spend <laughs> a day with carl pilkington uh, our very special guest today has spent weeks, months, literally months with him traveling the world. And that is because he is the series producer, the acclaimed series producer and director of An Idiot Abroad, seasons one, two and three. Not every episode, but quite a few. He is Luke Campbell. Luke, thanks, first of all, for joining us. Really appreciate it. No, you're a very busy man. So thanks for doing this. It's it's great to be with you guys, with with you mega mega super fans. I, I'm honoured to, uh, to to contribute to the conversation that is, you know, honour, honouring the genius that is Carl Pilkington. Oh, thanks. We're honoured to have you. Um, but yeah, I guess just to start off, um, how did you find yourself as the director and series producer of An Idiot Abroad? How did you come to to that role? Um, well, yeah, that's, um, it all began, actually. Well, I knew the exec producer of the series, and I got wind that it was happening through via an editor friend of mine. As much things do in TV, you know, it's all word of mouth. Oh, this is coming up. And I thought, um, you know, a, a travelogue with a bit of fun was what I sort of first heard. And it's this guy, Carl Pilkington. I hadn't really heard of Carl, actually, when I when I mm. first um, oh, wow. heard about the show. I, I wasn't, I mean, obviously I'd heard of Ricky and Steve and, and, and The Office and, and, and things that had been around at that time. But Carl was a total unknown to me. And I think I, I was approached, well, I actually put in a call to the exec and said, oh, I've heard this show's coming out because I had worked with um, Richard, Ye, um, and um, some years previous on on a sort of um, urban legends show. I said, I've heard this is coming up. I, I, I'm really interested. You know, I mean, uh, quite often I like to work with people I've never worked with and go to countries I've never been to. I mean, it's always a great motivator in television. It keep, keeps you hungry, keeps you fresh. Mm. And so mm. they set up a meeting and, and I, I gather that Carl was keen to meet me because my background mainly had been up until then, you know, in sort of uh, factual documentaries. Mm. Um, I've done mm. a bit of science, did space for the BBC Space with Sam Neill, which was a bit like Cosmos back in wow. like, and I'd Amazing. done a lot of um, what some people might call freakumentaries, which again probably <laughs> yeah. interested Carl. Interested Carl because you know I'd done sort of things like the the, the world's uh, what was it called Halftime Mum featuring yeah. the world's wow. hardest woman. I'd done Girl Who Lives in the Dark. I did Octo Mum, and I also wow. did Pregnant Man. So Carl was like <laughs> dying to chat about all these freaks. Well, I shouldn't call them freaks. They're not freaks. They're they're yeah. You know, we know um, what you mean. Yeah. Visually challenged people with interesting stories to tell, and so so that's really what got me into it in the beginning. And uh, yeah, we sat down in a little room in Soho, and he was like, "All right, so you're like you're like a proper proper do- documentary maker, aren't you?" And I was, you know, I was like, "Well, yeah." Yeah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I am. You know, and we just got chatting. I mean, really, we just had a five-minute chat, see if we were going to get along, and really for Carl to see what he made of me. And then, and then uh, you know, a day or two later, I got a call saying, Campbell, you're in. Do you want it? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, so it was like Carl kind of was almost interviewing you in a way to see if he was you were suitable for them. That's yeah. really interesting that they involved Carl so much in the direct process. You'd kind of imagine they'd just choose a director and kind of go with it, but they really wanted you to gel with Carl. So they did, they did, and actually, you know, it was. I mean, obviously, it's the first time I've worked with people like Carl and, and Ricky and Co. And it was, it was really interesting to see that side of it. Actually, how. You know, usually it is the other way around. Presenters, if you want to call them that, are, are, are kind of c- combined with crew and talent and off you go mm. and do the thing. But but I began to realise quite quickly that, that you know, Carl um, has a lot of input into what, what we're doing and how we do it and who's doing it, you know. And, um, yeah, you've got to get it right. I mean, all those layers are important to, to make mm. sure... Mm. There's a good chemistry in the group to enable him, if you like. Absolutely, yeah. Had you had you met like Ricky and Steve when you were in talks to like take on the show, and like 
how much were you told about the sort of countries you'd be going, the sort of challenges you'd be sort of facing? And because I'm, I'm assuming there would have had to have been, you know, withhold a lot of information from Carl because you want that natural reaction. Yeah, I mean, that's a, yeah, it's a good question. Because in the beginning, certainly series one, you know, I was told we, we might be going to India. I've never been to India. I thought well, that would be ace. I was certainly wow. told, you know, Carl's literally been, you know, nowhere. He's gone to a couple of sort of Spanish <laughs> hotels. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Side Madeira. Sunday. <laughs> yeah, Madeira. You know, and it was like, OK, right. So he's totally untraveled. And, you know, I hadn't really, I didn't really meet Stephen and Ricky at all until the first time I met them properly, you know, there's been some phone chats and whatnot, but I met them properly at a meeting when the series got named, which was a pretty hey. funny meeting, actually, yeah. because, um, <laughs> because we were sitting in an edit with someone from Sky, like the commissioner from Sky, commissioner, <laughs> the, big, the big cheese, and, and they, you know... Ricky was like, well, what are we going to call this then? You know, and Carl, we'd already been out on a recce, myself and an assistant, and we had, you know, we'd been all around. We'd even had little cards printed up. This was the Wonders of the World series, right, that said yeah. Carl Pilkey's Wonders of the World. And we had it in, in um, yeah. Indian text and English, you know, and it looked pretty cool. And we had the seven wonders all done on this little card because obviously on a recce you want to impress people that you're a professional. Yeah. And, uh and Carl was like, well, I mean, what's wrong with, like, Carl Pilkington's Seven Wonders of the World? <laughs> and Ricky was like, no, 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 that's going to give people the wrong impression and it's way too fucking wordy, you know. And then there was a sort of beat and pause. And you can see Carl, like, twitching a bit on the sofa. He, his hands often shake when he gets nervous. Like, oh, uh, really? When Ricky's put, you know, when Ricky's about to drop him in it or something. And then, yeah, Carl was going, yeah, what about Carl Pilkington's Wonders of the World? And then Stephen kind of went, Moron in the sun. <laughs> and the woman from Sky rolled her off. And then Ricky just came out with an idiot abroad. And it was, you know, it was just glued in straight away. Everyone was like, wow. Yeah. And you can see, oh, he, I think he said, literally, what, what's my mum going to think of that? <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't believe it. So I, I was there at the birth of the name. And, uh, yeah, it's just goes to show you, you know, how, how these things come about. I mean, they do a bit of drilling into it, and then, and then out of that comes, you know, the madness, the moment, the truth, the clarity. Yeah. It's I quite scary that... to think that Ricky can literally bring on a panic attack in couple, making him oh, sort of fake like that. Like, it's all genuine. There's nothing, there's nothing fake about it. I mean, I would... I really, I really used to feel for Carl, because on the shoots, whenever it was time to call Ricky, it, it, his, you could see his thumbs, like, shaking as he was, oh, <laughs> as he was dialing the number. And we used to feel for him so much. Like, oh, you poor bloke. I hope Ricky doesn't fucking, you know, give you a grilling. That's great insight, because we don't... That's the behind the bits we don't get to see. So even just his hand shaking, that's really interesting to know, because you don't think of Carl like that. Think of him getting stressed but not kind of showing physical signs of it just well that's it stress comes out in all the sort of maddest ways doesn't it he, get, he gets trouble with his stomach as well you know on the <laughs> shoes because he's nervous about what we're gonna unleash on him or drop him into you know yeah it must have been interesting then i suppose well, what, what was your um because obviously the series went out in a certain order but you may well have filmed it in a different order what was the first location you went to and also how was that because you, you didn't know carl before you'd met him in a few meetings probably but you were getting to know carl so how was that kind of experience as a director like suddenly directing abroad and with carl um you know you don't sort of know until you work with someone how, how much they gonna they're gonna give you you know how much are you producing it or how much are they they are what what it says on the tin or how much or, or what it appears uh, mm, but mm. we'd obviously never seen an idiot abroad and because this was the first so my i think he'd gone to egypt before me um and then we went off to india and i mean he came back from egypt pretty freaked out <laughs> You know, that was only Egypt. And uh, and I'd done a few documentaries in India. Um, the oh, girl really? with two faces. Yeah, medical documentaries about, I mean, some pretty extraordinary stuff. The girl with two faces was one Carl was really fascinated oh, by. Oh, I bet it, it was. A baby born <laughs> with two faces. 
And uh, he, that, that, you know, that was they were good things to sort of chat to him about on the plane over. Um, but basically, yeah, I was just getting to know him, getting getting a gauge of him, and actually, obviously, quickly realised that that Carl. What is amazing about Carl is you you put him in a situation, and it will unfold in a way you never imagined it would. And he will come out with things. I just don't know how. I just don't know where his head lives. I mean, you know, you'd be very nervous. Like we went went to meet um, like one of those holy men up in, up the river in in, in mm. India. The Swami, uh, as they're known, and and when we were on the recce with that, we, we met about four different Swamis to make sure we found him a good one. But it was mainly his assistant that nailed it, Dadran, the amazing Dadran. Oh. But you're sort of slightly nervous that when Carl goes in, is he going to offend these people? Yeah. You know, because you yeah. know he's not going to get the whole religion thing or the finding yourself thing. But what is he going to say, and where is this going to go? And and somehow he navigates amazingly this, you know, his own inqu- inquiry as to what this is all about and how it works, whilst also being Carl and coming out with the stuff that we all love him for. But what I realised very quickly, he delivers everything himself, as long as you've got, you know, not as long as. If he's in the right situation, our job's actually really easy. You know, you just got to look after him, make sure he doesn't get too nervous or sick. What he hated, actually, at the beginning, particularly on my episodes, was not knowing. We tried to hold back quite a lot from him. He'd just know that he was going to go to meet a swami in a, in, in, yeah. in a village uh, uh, and then you know this bloke davran would be at the side of the road with buck teeth and a mad bald head uh-huh. and carl would be getting in a taxi with him and he's like where are we fucking going how long yeah. is this taxi you know and he'd say carl mate just calm down it's all under control it'd be about half an hour in the taxi and he's like what what and i've got to get in the back with him yeah so just, yeah. And then, you know and then you'd get up there and then he'd and then he'd meet the funny little swami man um which was yeah, which was a beautiful moment. <laughs> was 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 that really hard to keep him like controlled and and reassured and safe? Because I'm just thinking about moments in the series. There was the um the wedding suite. Oh uh, the yeah. Suite. Wow. And and he just walks out and you you're watching it and you see the camera just literally going downstairs. So you know you're just reacting in real time. You're like Carl, come. I, I don't even know if it might be one of your voice actually. And you're saying Carl, come back. Where are you going? Where are you going? Like how do you deal with? A situation like that, just on the spot, because uh, it's just, he's just—he's so, so yeah. unpredictable, basically. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was actually quite a terrifying moment because that um, honeymoon suite was—it's like in a little sort of pretty rough um, area of, of the of the housing that surrounds the Taj Mahal, and so we're bedded in because that was the other thing, right? It's a, a honeymoon suite with a view, and the, the fucking Taj Mahal is like a tiny little. <laughs> yeah, yeah gag right ricky's booked him a room with a view and it's like fucking hell what's that you know but um but we were in a really rough area and when he when he did fly out i think what was it that nailed it for him it, it was obviously there was the ensuite shed when he opened that door which was full of yes. like, it was like painting coming out there were rollers and decorating gear yeah, yeah. Didn't actually get to work and start redecorating the room but i think he i think there was something in the room that just did him in, um, or we'd said something to him, and, and he just went, right, fucking, that's it. I'm fucking done with this. And he, he stormed past us. And the thing was, he had no money. You know, he doesn't know where he is. And he, and, and he went down the stairs so quickly, and, and we looked out the window, and we saw him just going up off the street round the corner, oh out of God. view. And yeah. so we obviously legged it down after him. And that's the thing, because sometimes on Idiot Abroad, it would literally come down to myself and Ben... Um, who worked? Who I worked with closely on that, Ben Green, and we would just be—it would be us two with a camera, and because you've got to sort of stand down the main crew because of overtime hours and all the rest of it. But we wanted to immerse him in stuff, pro- mm. you know, for real, authentically. So, so we'd have to stand down the main crew, and it was just Ben and I, and it was like fucking hell. Carl's got out; he's on his own; he's disappeared. So we ran down after it, and uh, you know, it was just a case of sort of sitting down at the side of the road and saying, "Look, look, mate, you know, it's not that bad." You know, think of other people in the world. I mean, sometimes you feel you feel like you're being, you're literally like being <laughs> Stephen, because that was the sort of thing in it, wasn't it? Ricky was poking him, and Stephen was trying yeah. to sort of even yeah, with him yeah. to carry on the mission. You know, the thing is, he's. <laughs> You know, you'd feel for him because he'd just look at you and he'd go, but fucking hell, Luke, you wouldn't fucking kip in there, would you? You know, and you're like, no, mate, I know, mate, but I mean, you've got to, it's the show, you know, and then and then he'd sort of get him back on side and he'd go, oh, fucking hell, all right, all right, come on, let's go back. Fucking hell. And, and you just sort of talk him down and calm him down. And uh, yeah, I mean, he never really blew his top, he blew his top at me actually on the series three with Warwick. 
he really lost his shit. And they had to do that skywalk, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I was hoping that we could get him to do a bungee jump off there, um, which obviously, as we know, he does not like a bungee yeah. jump. And he turned around at one point and he just went, right, whose fucking idea was this? Luke. Luke fucking Campbell. Luke Campbell, who's never going to direct James Bond, who's never going to direct the movie. Luke fucking Campbell. Is this it? Is this all you got? And it was like, Carl, man. Jesus Christ. Come on, work with me, work with me. And we had, we had to a little time out. And me and him just going, oh, mate, hey, I know you're stressed, but come on, please, bring it back in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, he did do five foot off that. Oh, that's so, so funny. That sounds, that sounds, it must have been, because you've obviously done a lot of director, you've, you've documentary maker, as you say, but directing Carl must be different to everything you've done before. And I guess since in that respect that you've got this kind of this genius there, but is very hot headed and unpredictable and can just walk off and doesn't want to do it. But that's kind of part of what makes him who he is. So you've got to you've got to balance that out with kind of actually genuinely getting him back in on side, whereas still still seeing him. We still want to see him on Kang camera angry at these experiences but we want him to be at least be on camera so it must be quite quite a unique experience like in terms of your direction yeah yeah it definitely was and and because you sort of know that you know he's gonna have to really endure some pretty horrible stuff you want to keep him you want to stay friends with him you want to have a a, a, yeah. a sincerity with each other but equally you know you deliberately hold things <laughs> things back because you just know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So funny when the penny drops and then he's going to look at you and go, you fucking cunt, I can't, you know, he'll, I mean, and and what used to happen was sometimes me and Ben would start, you know, we'd tell him a load of stuff and then we'd look at each other, Ben and I, and start giggling and he'd go, you know, and he'd get really cross because he knew that there was some further shit to come, you know. Oh my God. So I mean, it's the delicate balance between sort of, you know, he, he knows that we're doing it for a reason. But actually, as the series went on, after series one, he, we, we sort of did have to fill him in a bit more because uh, I think, one, he couldn't sort of stand the stomach-churning pain of not knowing what was around about to happen to him. And, uh, and two, because, you know, sometimes he also wanted to know a bit more about what was ahead because you don't want to just come out with the same things all the time. And so if, it, yeah. if he had a, be- a better sense of some of the stuff that's ahead, um, it, it would enable him to sort of ponder how, how it, yeah. where his head might go. Might be even yeah. worse. But did you think that um, you, you've obviously got Carl in these situations. He doesn't know what's going on. I assume you knew everything, like you knew the entire plan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, yeah, like, 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 obviously, Carl's an ex-radio producer. He, he understands the, the, the concept of what, yeah. what he's doing, right? And, and obviously, yeah. TV, you know, location documentary shoot is, is a podcast or a radio show on steroids in terms of logistics. Yeah. So he, you know, we know, we go on a recce and we obviously, you know, sort of line up multiple uh, options. Uh, a lot of it's casting, really, because you're, you're trying to find the right people that mm. you know he's going to either click with or just not be able to fathom at all, you know. And then he'll be going off on his Carlisms, as we call them. Where he'll, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we would, we knew what was ahead every day. We would have our, our shooting schedule, um, but he would not know the whole of it at all. Yeah. Certainly, series one. In fact, the very first shoot, my India shoot with him, when we arrived into Delhi. And there was a plan for him to sleep on a kebab shop floor. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Was just unbelievable because Delhi, it's so overwhelming and it's so full on. And like the traffic, mm. the smells, the smells. Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, I mean, just wow. trying to go to the toilet is oh, such please. an overwhelming experience. <laughs> this is out, you know, out in the street. I mean, there are, there are nice areas, Delhi. I'm not, I'm not just yeah, generalizing. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we weren't in a nice area. We we had taken an absolute hellhole corner of Delhi. And there was a kebab shop up this alley. You know, in terms of knowing everything, so we were were trying to basically get the guy in the kebab shop to tell him that he was where he was going to be sleeping. You know, and we knew, we we knew ahead of time that there was another room up the alley that was a bit bit less intense than this. You know, it was off the street. It had curtains. It had air conditioning. And, And so... So the guy was like, yeah, we're sleeping here tonight, you know. And Carl was like, what, 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 in here? You know, and the funny thing was, right, and it was also a bit of a health and safety thing because I think, you know, you, you know, we, we were about to sleep with him. It was open to the street. But I remember yeah. what happened was that Carl, in his mind, sort of embraced that 
concept. Difficult though it was, he got his head around that, yes, he was going to be sleeping in this 100-degree, muddy oh kebab shop floor. And so when it was revealed to him, the guy, I think the kebab shop guy revealed to him, if I'm remembering it correctly, that there's another room up the road. And he was like, is there... Oh, and then obviously the toilet was a big factor in this Oof. relocation because, I mean, obviously Delhi Belly, it's a, it's a cliche. Yeah, but yeah. It's oh, so, so the toilet was the clincher. But Carl actually said to me that he didn't want to go on to the next place where there was apparently a toilet because he thought we were going to stitch him up again with another nightmare. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he'd rather stay in the kebab shop because at least he knew what he was getting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, mate, we've got to move, Carl. We can't keep saying it. <laughs> so we don't want to be here either. That's typical. <laughs> no, well, absolutely. That's the thing. There's a line. That's the thing. Yeah. always knew if it was too bad for the crew, then we're probably not staying there. But but uh, but we did kip on the desert island with him, me and Ben, in his little oh. shack on our own. That was full on. When Carl stays in little pokey rooms like that, do the crew kind of go off to a Hilton that's down, you know, or do you kind of stay in the room next to him and stay in those, that, that sort of similar? Well, unfortunately for myself, there's a tier system on that because, you know, like, yeah, the crew, the camera dudes and the soundies and all of those people, they they have to go and be put up somewhere, you know, clean and civilised and, yeah. and where they can recuperate. They're really hard day, you can imagine, on these shoots. Yeah. And, of course, there's, there's hour, hours worked and you've got to recharge all your batteries and the equipment's got to be cleaned and blah, 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 especially in India. But if, Carl, if we're putting cars somewhere harsh, then, yeah, one of us, one of us or two of us, and, and it's usually myself and Ben, would stay with him. Right. Um, because, oh one, because we want to keep on filming because you never know what's going to happen. So we would literally strip it right back down to he'd have his little radio mic that had a box on it that records 24-7. You don't ever want to dig up those archives. 24-7 <laughs> car, car recording. And then we'd strip it down to a little kind of um, what we call a little HDL SLR camera, which is, you know, like these little Canon 5Ds. Yeah. So it would it, we'd be a tiny unit and a little handheld light basher. And we could sort of do anything. And then it would yes. be myself and, and Carl and Ben. And, and that that's that was the minimum. And we, I mean, you can't leave him on his own. There was one time actually in Vanuatu when he was on the beach. Uh, and he just landed on the beach and he was like that, you know, when he chose his little muffin island over there. And we, <laughs> yeah. we all got in the boat and we pretended that we were actually leaving, like everyone was leaving. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, we're to lunch now. And he was like, what, what, where are you fucking going? Hang on. You know, and, and off we, we sort of, we feigned going off on the other island, but we looped back and got him. <laughs> what, what was it like being on that island? Like a completely desolate like uninhabited island I, I should also say this your, your series was incredible like beautifully edited so cinematic like really really cinematic to watch you can see why you know you want to climb to the top of Machu Picchu to get those uh <laughs> those panoramics and also the music adds so much to it as well yeah but, yeah. yeah well the island so Vanuatu so that was that that was the happy place wasn't it I mean that was one of my favorite eps actually partly because of um you know scenes like the land diving I mean, that was, I think that's my, possibly my favourite ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm getting advice uh, here from a cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he does his dive, you know, I mean, we were like, fucking hell, because he properly thumps into that mud. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, health and safety, to be honest, I don't know if we'd be allowed to do half the stuff we did to him back then, because health safety really? has moved on a bit since Idiot Abroad, yeah. But staying out there was amazing. I mean, a really, really sort of unusual culture there very sort of simple living genuinely happy people and the, and the island that he chose as his little desert island was there was literally nothing on it um obviously yeah he gaffer taped up his enclosure his, his kind of his camp and then that that yeah. what was mad was when we so he wanted to sort of spend the night on the desert island so that was the mission and we saw a butcher on the main island and someone said oh yeah yeah we can get you some decent food out there so the main crew pissed off and left myself and carl and and this little fella turned up in a boat with some carrier bag full of like fresh beef there was an abattoir <laughs> in Cape island and most beautifully fresh harvested beef oh. and we basically this was the best thing carl's ever done in cooking wise now i'm on a cooking show with Gordon, you know, <laughs> carl. yeah 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 <laughs> carl's cooking so this was i think this is in the show isn't it the steak on a shovel because you sometimes i can't quite remember if it made the cut or not so that was amazing because he genuinely that steak was some of the most delicious steak i've ever ever tasted and we literally he warmed up a steak a shovel on a fire and then slapped a steak on it turned it over and went there you go steak on a shovel 
And because we, we had a meal together on camera as well as what's on camera. So it was just like, oh, and, we had a, and so uh, m- memories like that, you, you, you just, you know, I, I mean, I'm privileged really to, uh, to have had those experiences with him and, and that they stayed with me for, for, and they will do. So I'm an old man on the porch with my grandkids. <laughs> you, should, you should listen to the um, XFM shows, Luke. There's, a, there's an episode where Carl talks about putting sausages in a toaster. So if you like steak on yeah, the show. Yeah, like that. <laughs> so you, can you confirm, Luke, because there are people, I know the answer is, we know the answer, but there are people out there who still to this day will not believe that Carl Pilkington is a real person in the sense that he's not scripted and things. So when he was coming out with all these great lines and things that we all yeah. love, can you con- confirm, absolutely, he was not given those lines or fed those lines. It, it, they were all came naturally from him. <laughs> <laughs> some people don't believe it. I know it's actually the, the question I'm asked more than any other, uh, having worked on an idiot abroad, is, is is he really like that? You know, and yeah, I mean, you know, all I can tell you is that when we're not shooting, there's very very little change. Um, you know, it's like uh, let me think of some times. You know, you'll be you'll be in a motorway service station in, in, in deepest India, and we're all ordering, you know, hot, well cooked food. That you, that's what, of course, in India you're advised to eat freshly cooked food that's, that has to be heated up to avoid all the, all the horrors you can get out there. And the waiter goes round to Carl and he's like, have you got a salad sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> Just white bread, you know, white bread. You know, you're like, and, and this thing came out, stupid white pan with some wet, dead vegetables, and he looked at it, and it, Carl, well, why, why did you order that, mate? You know, so, um, and, and also I'll tell you, the other thing is that, 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 that demonstrates it, I think, is things like, um, you know, his, his genuine fascination with the animals and, and, and the unusual-looking people like, that we've met along the way, like yeah, yeah. Baba in India or the Spider Sisters in, in, in Series 3 with Warwick. And that when he was with the hippo in the house, he was like a kid in a sweet shop. He couldn't <laughs> believe the, the luck of, of his life, you know, to, to sort of meet this situation, this creature. And then that, the balmy couple that were in charge of the hippo, like, she said, she said donkey, Jess, right, which in... South African parlance is donkey, D-A-N-K-E, donkey. Thank you, Jess. Jess, hippo. Okay. Donkey, Jess. (laughs) 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 I mean, you often see the camera start shaking on that show because he's just... (laughs) But but there's an example. You know, he reacts off what people say in the moment, doesn't he, as well as his other... He does, yeah. Carl is so... You know, the, the, how can you add? How can you script ad lib? I mean, he's he's mm. more often not going off a moment or what someone said. So, yeah, I, I can confirm one hundred percent that that <laughs> man, he is. You know, he is Carl through and through. When when you did your recce's and you were sort of like scouting the locations and the people, who were the sort of big characters for you who you thought was like create you know TV gold? <laughs> well, I mean, I think anyone that looked slightly unusual was. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good because he talks so much about like the ele- like the elephant baba, but he talked like he talked so much about the elephant man being his his favorite film. So that's kind of a natural fit, right? <laughs> that's a natural fit. That's a natural fit. But you know, like his fascination with Spider Sisters, yeah, sort of. That's on the edge of being possibly a bit awkward, isn't it? Because it's yeah. Like, You've got to be you've got to be sensitive, of course, and and there's obviously a huge exploitation side of that. In in the the reality mm. media is, you know, they're they're being sort of shocked around the place as a as a gawping act, you know, and and of course there's a sort of taste and decency line, certainly when you're on Sky TV, that you've got to you've got to not quite go the wrong side of that. And uh, I mean, somehow he he navigates that line, like because the way he drags Warwick up, and there was a time there when Warwick Warwick to me. He hadn't actually got Warwick on the stage yet. And he, he was going, come on, get fucking up here, Warwick. And Warwick came up to me and he went, I don't know what to do, Luke. <laughs> and I said, Warwick, just do what you want to do. If you think he's been out, out of order right now, fucking tell him. In fact, it's quite important you do because I need a bit of perspective on this scene because he's out of control right yeah. now. <laughs> you know, like, could you say this? So we've got a bit of balance in the edit. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, I think, I think that, you know, for us, the key to it would be lining up big characters and big situations that you know there's going to be material for him to work with but equally equally that delicate line between you know yeah. good comedy and and sort of 
fuck, what, what's going to happen here? That was the sort of the magic. Um, I mean, to this day, actually, he and I, you know, we're not that much in touch, but we text each other now and then, and it's mainly about Davram. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but he got on quite well with um, Swami, the, the guy in the, 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 the robes. Yeah, wasn't that amazing? Like, he was such a sweet little old fellow, that guy. So that's a good example of gold. Like, we went on the wrecking. We met four different Swamis. You know, there was a Canadian dude. He was a bit dry, a bit straight, a bit earnest. You know, we met another one who was sort of too into the Indian esoteric kind of mindset. And we didn't mm-hmm. think he'd work when Carl didn't get it. And then we met Swami, who obviously we met Davram first. And we were like, this is looking good. It's looking really good. And then we met the Swami, who was the most sweet little laughing fellow. You know, we slept the night in the ashram on the, on the recce, and he was he was just so lovely and never stopped laughing. And no matter what you said to him as a proposition, nothing was, you know, nothing was too big or mad for him. And I guess, I guess that, that he was almost so nice that we were slightly nervous of unleashing Carl's inability to get spirituality on the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It took, a, it took a heck of a lot of uh, heck of a lot of planning and sort of pre things that you don't see then going on that recce and not just going on the recce and um, meeting a shaman, but actually going through four till you get to the right one or what you think is the right one, which was perfect in, in the end. No, actually, and, and talking of the planning, the other thing on that uh, show was the phone calls, like trying to get a call from yeah. the right moment. And that again, that was one of my. I'm very proud of having a live Ricky call whilst Carl was in a rubber dinghy with an old man crossing the Ganges, as he said. <laughs> <laughs> Which was just gold. And the call was only about 10 seconds long because he was like, I can't talk to you right now. I, 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 I'm in a rubber dinghy with an old man in the Ganges. <laughs> and, and Ricky just laughs his head off and Carl, Carl hangs up. And you're like, oh. But it's live. It was real. And we got it. Perfect. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But yeah, yeah, the logistics are unimaginable, I have to say. My favourite uh, Ricky call is... <laughs> Is when he's on he's on that ship and he goes the the bloke who's driving it won't turn it down. He's sat here I'm eating fisherman's friends. <laughs> so- and don't they start getting on about some balmy band as well? Uh, what yeah. was it? Some band that him and Ricky I did I've never heard of them. Well, I can't remember the name of the band, but yeah, that bedroom was mad. That's right. There was a band in there and the toilets on the boat. Oh, that was so harsh that boat in China. Oh man. God, I can't. Bringing it all back to me. I mean, you do go through it a bit, I have to say, as as a crew on this show. (laughs) Yeah, but it must be like a balance of amazingness that you get to go to all these places i didn't know you've been to india beforehand actually but you you get to visit all these great places but you're also kind of it must create so much difficulty as a director kind of because if you're directing in the uk you're kind of in control of it you know what's going on but abroad it must make it harder but also like a wonderful experience that you're getting to see all these unique kind of things yeah, I mean, the trouble is, you know, you just you don't really get to see much. You, you, you don't get to sort of experience it as a traveller or as a, as, a, as, a, as a, you know, a tourist might. You don't get a moment to take it all in because you, you're on your mission for the show. And like when you say, oh, yeah, you met four different bubbers before you got the right bubber for Carlsby. <laughs> You know, that's basically a whole day of lying about in taxis yeah. and whatnot, others having the same conversation and then back to a hotel room, knackered, going, right, what are we doing tomorrow? Okay, we're meeting five different donkey drivers. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> and what were your, what were some of your, your highlights, Luke? So you were, like, what were the standout oh, locations? Yeah. yeah, you know what? On Meter Gorilla, when we went to that Fari park, and basically we, Carl assisted the relocation of a rhino, that was mind blowing. Because, um, yeah. you know, you, you know, you, you obviously it's, a, it's an amazing privilege to go to somewhere like that and see all those animals up close. But they had um, they had uh, they had a little helicopter that the, the, the vets fly around in with the tranquilizer guns. Mm-hmm. And so that was our sort of secondary measure of control. That's the other thing with health and safety. You know, you like Carl up close to these wild animals and stuff. And then mm. being Carl, it's all a bit, you've got to make sure there's, <laughs> there's measures to, uh, for him not to get injured. And so I remember I got, I got a ride in that helicopter um, at one point and we were flying over, you know, elephants, trails and giraffes running through the jungle. And it, I, I remember just thinking to myself, wow, I mean, what, how, how can you call this work? I, I'm yeah. really, so the jungle was a real highlight for me, actually. Yeah, you know, it's surprising. Swimming with a great white shark was pretty wow. out in terms of life highlight. Yeah, and there was a few things you didn't see in the show. Like, oh, you, you can obviously Carl only went in it for like 
like five seconds. He was in it for what I've bet. He was in it for about five minutes, I reckon. And then, of course, he was out and he only, all he wanted to do was have a cup of tea and biscuits and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> have enough shots of, of, of the cage or the sharks and so but the director of photography he did not like going in the water so I volunteered to jump back in that cage with, with the camera can't believe that oh, wow <laughs> the actual the, this is what so it's basically like a cage it's going up and down attached to the boat like you're in a washing machine it's literally going yeah, up yeah, and yeah. down all the water sloshing oh. about, banging into the bars, and you've got your feet hooked on two bars at the bottom that hold you down, so actually, you know, maintain stability. And one of those metal bars snapped off that was holding my foot down. I thought, oh, this cage. And then a shark kind of, you know, flew up, smashed into the cage, had a heart what? attack, yanked on the rope, get me out, get me out. But, you know, it, it was an amazing experience. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't swap it to the world. So, so for me, yeah, things like that. The bungee jump was not a highlight for me. Doing, <laughs> being here on the bungee jump, on a Soweto Bunge, uh, so yeah. nervous on that one. You, you did it though, didn't you, Luke? You you ended up doing it because that was all before Carl's bar- Carl's bargaining with with Gervais. But if you yeah, do it, like, it, where's this going to end? He's got more money than me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then he was like, Luke, just put me hat on. You do it. Get some shots. And then, but then it was like, yeah, but Carl, he's going to see the fucking show. Obviously, what are you talking about? You know. <laughs> That was that was one of my favourite moments. That one of my favourite episodes actually. And also, apart from the brilliant time where he's um cooking for the African king, saying um I can't join this, Mark. I'm running out of custard. That was amazing. The fact he wanted to make him, I could still to this day talk about that. He went, I'm going to do beans on toast. Was it beans on toast? Yeah. Beans on toast, man. It was so amazing, and that, and his he was so excited about that caravan. It was like yeah, that's yeah. another example of him just being. It's so sweet, some of the things that, that that get him excited and happy, you know, and they offset the, the, the trauma and hardship of doing these shoots. <laughs> In the Africa episode as well, you can see his genuine frustration where he builds that hut for the for the family that have just moved out and he's looking at all this poverty and he says, you know, what am I meant to do? You know, I'm. it doesn't feel like I've done anything. And I, I think for all of the hilarity of the series, there are so many beautiful, like, sweet, humanist quotes from him and also like moments of philosophy you know when he says um in the route 66 one where you know part of the fun is the journey this isn't my route and, yeah. and also <laughs> other silly little throwaway ones like you know why is the the great wall of china so great the m that's right no absolutely absolutely he has these lovely like reflections on on life and and existence that are bedded in within all that comedy and humour. I remember him in Petra, Jordan, when we did that Wonders of the World one, when he was he was sort of gesticulating about inventions of past, you know, like the spoon. I can't, can't remember what his gesture was. He was like, as if he was trying to eat soup with his hands. He was going like, yeah, fucking spoon. And, and he, that's another thing, like the things you talk about off camera with him, like his, he, he has got some crazy inventions in his mind. And, uh, oh. you know, I'm sure a lot of them have popped up in podcasts and things here along the way, but he'd be constantly thinking of new ways to do things or improve things around us especially in those sort of third world countries or places that haven't got the comforts that we have what sort of th- wow. what sort of things anything, anything well, you can say well like well he's always got this thing about like he's always trying to improve the toilet situation <laughs> you can imagine on shoots that that that, that toilet facilities do become and and, and your to- your personal toilet problems as such as they may be become quite <laughs> a constant source of bonding yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Can't imagine. Um, so, yeah, you know, he would just be yeah talking about toilets that were scented or had self-closing, <laughs> self-closed seats. Like in India, there were toilets that were literally... I mean, he and I had to share a toilet once at an airport, um, oh and we both God. had. We had the problem, the, you know, inevitable problem of India. And yeah. uh, it was like, yeah, it was tricky. We were, we were so bad that we were literally, like, shotgunning this toilet. He'd go in... <laughs> Then I'd go in, then I'd go in. I mean, oh it was, my so, God. I was that with him on, on a tiny little Canon G9 around my neck. <laughs> made the show, I think, where it was layer cake. I hope you're well paid. I, I think this is the only show where the, the talent got a worse deal than the runner. Like, this is definitely... <laughs> I don't know if I could handle this. Luke, I want to ask you, because um, I, I genuinely think, like, this show is quite actually a pioneering bit of tally, because obviously... 
travel shows have always existed, right? Like Jude of Chalmers or whatever. But, but um, the travel uh, yeah, the travel documentary with comedian um, as the host or the presenter, whatever. I feel like the, an idiot reporter was actually probably one of the first to do that. Now, like, there's loads of them, right? There's like a Misadventures of Ramesh Ranganathan, Travel Man with Rich Tawadi, Jack Whitehall's Travel with My Father. How would you feel about being part of that sort of televisual sort of history? I say I know you've travelled a lot yourself, anyway. But what do you think it is about that format that is really appealing? And um, what what is the success sort of down to? Obviously, now you work with on the amazing Gordon, <laughs> Fred and Gina, which is I honestly, for my money, I could talk about that all day because I've got I love strawberry chefs anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'd love to hear more from you. Yeah, well, I suppose yeah. I mean, it, it, it's true what you say. I think an idiot abroad was definitely you know a genre setting kind of benchmark because I know for years afterwards, I every time I went to a commissioner meeting at a channel, they would say, you know, you'd pitch a load of ideas and then they'd say, well, what we're really looking for is is our, what would our version of an idiot abroad look like? You know, and who would it be with and where would they go? Really? How would we do it differently to that? You know, and obviously, you know, it had the absolutely fantastic sort of um, soft bullying aspect of Ricky <laughs> sending him out on these misadventures. Often it wouldn't be what he wanted to do or he had to do all this shit to get to the thing he wanted and then actually it wouldn't even be the thing he wanted as in swim with dolphins. No, great white sharks, mate. Sorry, dolphins aren't around today. And so, <laughs> you know, that, that, that was such a lovely kind of format if you if you want to call it such. And I think there was actually, so, I remember somebody saying in the office that there was a, there was a German version coming out with, uh, you know, a German Ricky and a German... Carlton, yeah. but, oh, um, really? I think so. Yeah, I think it was Germany. But as to the sort of appeal of it, I mean, I think I think what's nice about it is that the traditional travelogue, where people like your Judith Chalmers or your, I mean, Palin's amazing, right? I, I mean, I love yeah. it. but there's only sort of so much of that um, style of doing it that yeah. you can take. You know, like I, I, you know, I often wonder what's going to happen when Attenborough goes. Like, could could we get Kyle oh, yeah. in that? In that mould, right there. And <laughs> That's it's, you know, interesting. Because, it's ready made. Because you've got to move it on, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like like we've had we've had most of television history has been fairly traditional travel presentation. All of television up to an idiot abroad, pretty traditional travel shows. And then that came out. And then um, I think with the new ones that are out now, like or the, or the ones since. I mean, I have to say, travels with my father. I find, uh, you know. It feels a lot more constructed to me. Absolutely, um, obviously, I, yeah, I agree with that. Because the, the, there's less sort of, um, I don't know, it's, it's got quite a thin remit, hasn't it? Like it's pissed off dad and, and Jack, yeah. you know. And of course, it's also totally dependent on, on the talent on screen. And I mean, I think that people really enjoy the dynamic of a group. Like Rob and Ramesh have got a great dynamic. And it's almost like, like an idiot abroad, you enjoy one of them setting something up and then it gets yeah. out a bit out of depth and the other one's uncomfortable or and they, they yeah. that sort of discomfort swaps roles throughout the show and i i think that's partly the appeal of the, 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 the way travel shows have gone more into seeing characters who behave in certain predictable ways that we know and love in these situations we'd all love to be in too as a sightseer they're watching people who are much more interesting than just your average tourist or even your average Joanna or Michael Palin Carl, well, Carl accused Warwick of being Joanna Lumley when he was up the council <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, that was genuinely you know, quite uh, heartfelt and, and like sad to watch though. That was like a real fist. He cries, doesn't he, Warwick, when he sort of oh, climbs yeah. that temple? Yeah, this. I felt, well, I felt really bad about that. What was it like the third series in comparison with the first two? Having Warwick there, was it easier or harder? Or because Warwick's kind of a bit of a he does probably perform some of the role you perform with Carl, like to calm him down and things like that. Was it or was yeah. it more enjoyable with Warwick or was it a bit? Was it not quite the same thing? It was a, a little trickier logistically. We had a whole extra, you know, cameraman and sound person. You know, we had to up our numbers, which which always makes it a bit trickier. And, and obviously, there was this whole tricky situation of getting, getting a two yeah, shot. Yeah. If you want to sort of get them both reacting on one camera, <laughs> go with him or him, or does Carl duck down, or does do we lift Warwick up on sitting on? You know, that was a constant yeah. sort of problem but you know Warwick was I have to say absolutely incredible to work with like his professionalism and his willingness to engage and I mean it's punishing right and he's used to a sort of film environment where you look mm. after like, movies mm. 
And, and, and he kept saying to us, I can't believe how fucking real it all is. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and he, the funny thing was, literally always eat pizza. We'd get back to a hotel and Warwick would get his pizza. And, you know, like on that boat. So on that boat in China, when there was a band in their bedroom and Warwick ended up getting an upgrade and he had his own cabin somewhere <sighs> else in the boat. Carl got so pissed off about that. And of course, that, that started to affect how he related to Warwick because things like that were happening all the time. That was, you know, the ruse that Ricky had sort of obviously booked Warwick better accommodation, made sure he was getting better <laughs> yeah, service. Yeah. It's just another layer to the... A layer, yeah. I always thought that Warwick kind of had... Quite, that's quite a pressured position to be in from Warwick because he's been informed by Ricky. He says, you've got to be up for everything, right? You've got to do the Bollywood dancing. You've got to show Carl up, right? Because that, there's a lot of pressure there, right? Because you've got to... Even if you're not feeling particularly enthusiastic that day, you've got to go with it because you know that you've got to be the kind of... Be the out there one to Carl's straight man, you know? yeah. Well, you know what? I think the thing the thing that was really pertinent was that, that climb up the mountain in the China episode of Warwick when he did start to cry. We had, um, you know, there is an actual, there, there is a condition for people like Warwick challenged, vertically challenged, you know, basically dwarves have got um, all of their organs quashed into a, a chest cavity, which is, oh, you know, wow. the, their organs are bigger than their chest cavity can, can allow for. And so... You know, going to altitude, is a, it can be a real um, oh problem. God. It can be quite yeah, dangerous. Yeah. And one of the things, he's so proud, Warwick, and he didn't. He never wanted to ever let us down because he was tired or he couldn't do something. Mm. And so when yeah. he was struggling on that climb and he ended up going into the little carry basket, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we would try for that to happen because we just wanted to see Carl carrying on struggling. <laughs> but this is the thing on this show, right? we, we would never sort of push it or force it. We would just sort of think, look, if we put some guys with a thing and Warwick gets tired, it'll probably, they'll probably end up carrying Warwick and Carl will be pissed off. And sure enough, you know, <laughs> Warwick started struggling. But what none of us expected was, you know, he was he was genuinely upset that he oh. wasn't able to walk up the mountain himself, you know. Yeah. And it, I felt really bad because Carl was miles up ahead screaming at him, you little, you little, you little loser. Yes. Come on, put your fucking back into it. And he just harsh, Carl. What Carl couldn't see was like 200 metres down the oh. path. It was actually bawling his eyes out on camera. Oh, no. Bless him. Gave the little guy a break. And, and um, you know, oh. I mean, in the edit, it, I think we had, to, we had to carefully edit around all of that. But it, it's just a sign that, you know, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a little bit extra challenging working with Warwick, but not for any reasons of uh, 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 for, on his part. You know, it was just, yeah, yeah. it's just logistics. Another person, another sort of dimension to engineering, not that, the scenes are engineered, but as I said, laying those things in front of yeah. them mm. is great and, and interact with, you know. And that's the same with, uh, yeah, Gordon, Gino and Fred. You know, it's kind of about setting a stage, putting characters and, 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 and possibilities in front of them and then and then letting it rip. <laughs> Let, let's let's talk about that for, for just a second, if, if you don't mind, because um, <laughs> I, I love that, that programme. And I, great. I genuinely think it's probably one of the funniest shows that isn't like a sitcom. You know, that and Gogglebox, like just those... Those three personalities are spectacular. Like Gino, I love Gino in particular. Just him getting absolutely off his tits in um, San Francisco, and the um, oh, yeah. when they went to uh, when they went to Iceland, they were like doing the swimming there. And there's so much ego and competitiveness between the three of them. I just were you involved? It, were you involved, Luke? Sorry, I'm asking. Were you involved in uh, putting them three together, or just were you told that the, the, them three are going to be? Um, well, funny enough, I got I was approached at the beginning, you know, for a bit of consultation on on how to do the show, but they they'd already been paired as as a trio. Um, it was actually it was actually someone at ITV, uh, the commissioner at ITV, who, who's worked with Gordon many a year, and then Gino's got his Italian show on ITV oh. who, who thought they'd be a great combo and then and then Fred came into the mix and you know Gordon Gino Fred was born but so in, in, initially they weren't they weren't all buddies well putting talent together you just don't you don't quite know whether you're gonna well, how it yeah. will how that will sure. explode and will they bond or will they blow up or, or will it feel will it be really forced or will it be natural I mean that's the that's the key, isn't it? It's when these relationships have natural flowing dialogue. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, you sort of do the bits you need to do because you've got to give a viewer some geography and, and a bit of a narrative to follow. But it's the bits that happen after that where you go, right, just keep filming, just keep filming. Because 
you know, you hope you can just keep going. And, and it's when they naturalise and go into their own mode that, you know, you get the gold. You really get the gold. And, and, and that is pure ad lib zone, you know, more often than not. Yeah. Do you find any similarity between uh, Gordon and Carl in that sense? <laughs> uh, they're, they're, very, they're very, very different people. But in some ways, they're quite similar, like in their kind of shortness of temper. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 a funny one. That no, I don't. Know. I mean, I'd love to see Carl at a dinner party with, with Gordon. I'd love yeah. to see Carl. Be those, well, that would be enough. Oh, well, that would be. Add Carl, <laughs> Gina, and Fred. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, they're not really. I don't know. They're, they're just such such different people to to work with. I mean, if anything, th- th- there's some similarities perhaps between Carl and Gino in in the observations they make and the. You know, the energy with which they <laughs> embrace, you know, the, the funnier side of a situation. And, and also, I have to say, yeah, I mean, Gino's got a great, you know, brain. The, the observations he makes and the, um, the, the the little rabbit holes he goes down. He's so yeah. up for it as well. <laughs> my favourite Gino line is when he's on this morning and he goes, if my grandmother would have been a wheel. would have been a bike, she would have had wheels. I think one of the Holly, Holly or uh, Philip said um, something like, "Well, if if you do, if, if you'd put some more sugar in it or something, it would taste nice." If my grandmother had been a bike, she'd have had wheels. That's uh, that's what he's replying. <laughs> just, 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 yeah, it's very yeah. funny. Do, 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 did you you got that gig? I am sure you got that gig because you're very very good at what you do. But do, I assume they came to you because of they thought well, you're the perfect person to do it because of your work on Idiot Abroad. You were so used to that travel. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I'd like to think so. I, you know, certainly, I think. I mean, Idiot Abroad is one of the credits. Uh, you know, I'm most proud of, and it has. You know, you do a certain thing for a certain period of your career, and then you, you do become sort of known for handling that kind of a show or that kind of a genre so carl sort of almost got me out of you know the sort of um channel five-esque although i didn't do any for channel five they were mainly for channel four but the sort of <laughs> freaky style, yeah. like got me out of the freaky mentories into you know quality comedic <laughs> travel and that in turn launched me into itv entertainment mainstream 9pm <laughs> cool, Thank you, Carl. Where you want to be? Well, I, I think that's that's a really nice note to kind of wrap things up. Yeah, we've kept we've kept you for an hour now, Luke. So we really appreciate that. Can I ask you one last question, just to end on? I just wanted to ask you, what do you think it is? Because our show is all about Carl Pilkington and like the legacy of of him. What do you think is sort of the enduring appeal of Carl Pilkington, and why do people resonate so much with him? God, the enduring appeal of Carl. Well. I think it is because he he thinks what we wish we might be thinking. Like because mm. everyone wants to be funny, right? I think you know you like to be the person who says something and and, and it entertains the group, or there's a chuckle or two along the way. I mean that's at a very base level, and then he sort of manages to find the funny or the alternative observational angle that you didn't see coming in a million years, and then and then as he explores his way down that avenue it just keeps opening doors that you just can't believe yeah. are there. And, yeah. and it's just such a sort of engaging thought process that he goes on and and from where that thought process is triggered to where it ends is always a revelation with him and and that's whether you're having a chat you know in a motorway cafe in india or or it's something that's happening on camera that he's doing with a with a swami in in, in an indian ashram and and it's just a, an endlessly fascinating process his mind is brilliant, I suppose, is, is all I can say. It's, it's brilliant, it's sweet, it's funny, and it's not, um, it's not a performance. Oh, so, yeah, that was, uh, that was Luke Campbell. <laughs> Um, lovely guest. I think uh, just my initial thoughts of him. He was very, like, he's just very nice off air as well. Like, he wasn't just an on air show and uh, very forthcoming with his views. Very interesting person. And yeah, I, I loved it. What did you think, Miles? His, he just, he exuded uh, enthusiasm and passion for yeah. his, his profession. Like, clearly a very, very skilled uh, documentarian and, and um, director. Uh, but and but but the passion, you know, there's so yeah, yeah. he loved work. Clearly, there was a real connection there and, and um, relationship with with Carl, and uh, yeah, just offered a really invaluable insight into the making of that show, which has become so iconic in its, its in its right. And you know, I can't believe that it didn't win a bloody BAFTA. 
No, no, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But it was fascinating, his insight, just to get an insight into someone who spent so much time with Carl. And, yeah, you're right. He, he, He's the sort of person, like, I get the impression he could he could be an on-air person as well. Yeah, he? definitely. Like, he could easily, if he had chosen to go into that, he obviously chose, he's a very, very successful director, but he just came across like, like he could present as well or be on camera and that would be interesting. But it's just, you know, he's gone into a different role. But, yeah, fascinating person and, uh, yeah, I loved it. And, and as I say to the audience, it was a bit different today because there was no link to the XFM shows, which is really the first show we've done where there's no nothing directly linking to those shows. It kind of gives you an insight into Carl, which gives us a deeper insight into the XFM shows without this specifically being about the XFM shows, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was stage one. That was our first interview of a double bill of interviews, because next week we're going to be talking to Nigel Williams, who was the uh, editor for The Office. He did a lot of Ricky Gervais's live stand-up shows, is editor in his own right and does loads of stuff for the BBC. So that will be coming next week. Please do let us know what you thought of our interview this week on the all of the usual ways, so spinnerspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter, that's spinnerspodcast. Yeah, and um, thank you. And we will be back with a normal show after that. So if you're sort of um, craving the normal shows as well, we'll, we'll be reviewing episode 45 i think it is next um of series two that'll be the week after next um but we've just got these two interviews sort of bunched up together because they're, they're just two so you can't turn down luke campbell and nigel williams you know you just gotta and i love doing these interview shows i think it's it's just such a different dynamic isn't it just i just i just love listening to people I, that's what i love about that the beauty of podcasting is that set something up and just listen to someone talk about a, a, a subject that they know absolutely loads more than, than we yeah. do. Yeah, so uh, thank you Luke for doing it and um, we appreciate it. Or another interview coming, I should say, next week. So tune in Do you for that. think, Gary, do you think that uh, Luke maybe could do on, what was his term? Sort of facially challenged people. Do you think he could do a documentary on you by he, any chance? He's he, alluding <laughs> to me by any chance. We've got a connection with ITV now. I'm seeing I've got yeah, my yeah, firmly yeah. set on a documentary about a little caveman, Brian Blessing man type. who grew a beard alone in his flat. <laughs> he's Gary Forrestal. He's, he's surrounded by boxes with Amazon. <laughs> that alongside Rockbusters. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. But no, thanks guys. See you next week. Mm.